You're listening to Welcome to Eloma, a podcast for highly ambitious dreamers who get shit done. I'm your host, Kylie Peters. This is a space where we talk about productizing services. Now, I love this topic. As someone who's run an agency for the last six years and banged my head on the proverbial wall trying to create custom solutions for way too long for way too many people, productizing services is totally the way to go. And a lot of the work that we're doing with Ray9 um, works with helping women small business owners figure out how to productize their services in ways that work for them. And I'm not going to lie, a lot of uh, that comes from this amazing book that I read. Uh, so I read Productize by Aisha Armstrong um, and fell in love with her methodology. And I love that there was I love that there was a book, that there was a system to productizing services because I think it's so necessary and so important and it can be so elusive. Um, so I loved that she added all the structure and she has been kind enough to join us on the podcast today. Um, Aisha is the executive chairman and co-founder of Vectaris, um, where she works with B2B companies on new product innovation, product marketing, and product portfolio management. So all product things. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into this conversation. Welcome to Eloma, Aisha. Oh, thank you, Kylie. It's so great to be here. Well, thank you. Um, I... I also want to call out, like, I politely stalked Aisha on LinkedIn to ask her to join the podcast because I was like, I, I read your book. I loved your book. Will you talk to me, please? And she so kindly said yes. So thank you very much. Oh, again, my pleasure. <laughs> um, all right. So I know the answer to this, but for anybody listening, please tell us why it is so important that service-based companies productize their services. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. And and perhaps I should start by just kind of defining how. how yeah, go for it. Yeah. So productization is anytime you take something that's typically custom, bespoke, delivered through people, arms and legs, and uh, created uh, a product around it. So something that has a name, a defined set of features, a set price uh, for it. Uh, and the reason why that's so important for services companies is because it allows you to do what's called scale, uh, which is to grow revenue at a faster rate than you have to grow expenses. So if you're just delivering consulting, regular uh, custom services, you usually have to hire more people with the same level of expertise and wherewithal when you want to grow revenue. If you have products, whether they're productized services or products that don't require any human intervention to sell, then um, you can grow revenue without having to grow expenses at the same same rate. Um, so that's the concept. Yeah, and that's the, the big <laughs> oh, I feel like every owner I know wants this. <laughs> right. Yeah, and then and then there's some side benefits like um, if you ever want to exit your business. Uh, usually businesses that have more revenue from products than services command a higher valuation. Um, you could also have other people sell the product. So usually you can get a professional sales force to sell the product. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, they don't have to be an expert in your area of consulting in order to sell a product. Um, yeah. So those are other benefits. That's a good call. And I want to touch on that for a second because 
Um, most of the small business owners I know are their best salespeople and they, most of them hate sales. Like we're also grappling with this concept of sales doesn't need to be a dirty word. Um, but you know, I think that's a big thing to call out. So for anybody listening, who's like, oh, that's me. I provide a service. Oh, productizing sounds interesting. Well, guess what? You also don't have to be your only salesperson and it becomes a lot easier for other people to sell for you. And I love that you touched on uh, these people don't have to be an expert in the thing that you sell in order to sell it because you've already packaged it up with a bow on top. And that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. And you could even sell without any human intervention. So if you create a course or like my book is a product, um, you can sell without any salesperson having to be involved. It could just be a an online sale. Yeah. I mean, technology, right? Oh, wow. As as we know all too well, sometimes it works for us and sometimes it doesn't. I was having some technical difficulties myself before we jumped on this podcast. So yes, but technology can be our friend. Um, so Aisha, in your book, Productize, you talk about seven mistakes made when it comes to productizing services. Now, I'm sure we could probably say there's like 17 more mistakes made, right? Um, but to you know, not give away all of the secrets because we want people to go take a look at the book, can you pick your like top two or three favorite mistakes, if you will, and dive into them a little bit for us so that anybody listening is like, oh yeah, no, I, I should make sure I don't do that. Right. So I think the first one, it's the first mistake and it's also one of my favorite, is starting too big or too perfectly. Uh, and what I mean by that is, let's say you want to create a, a course, an online course, and that's your product. Um, what I see a lot of people make a mistake is they design the entire course. They may even build it before they launch it. Uh, yep, guilty of that one. <laughs> right. For sure. <laughs> and and the reason why that's a mistake uh, is because that's expensive to do yep. that requires a lot of time, probably an investment in an LMS system, some graphic design, maybe instructional designer, depending on how polished it is. You know, you could be outsourcing video or audio or all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So very, very expensive to do. And you don't yet have real market feedback on whether or not people would buy it. Uh, So instead, we encourage people to adopt a uh, minimum viable product way of thinking and philosophy uh, and test whether or not there's market appetite for education or content in this space. You know, uh, you could do a landing page test where you just sell something before it's even um, built. You know, it's coming in, you know, February of 2023. Um, Kickstarter, that's a great example of a minimum viable product or MVP approach where you, you really get market validation of the idea prior to investing a lot of money in development. Okay, wait, I want to hop in here because I agree with you, but I just want to poke a little bit because I'm asking a lot of my own questions, but I'm sure other people have these too. Okay, so for those type A perfectionists out there, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when it comes to the idea of, oh, I'm going to sell something before I've built it, that might give some people heart palpitations. Yeah. What is the trick to not lying, right? Like we don't want to lie. We don't want to sell something that we can't deliver. Like what is that happy medium, that that balance between like see if people want it, 
don't lie. Make sure you're adding value. And then like figure out how to bring it to market should that be the right path for it. Yeah. And and you you gave yourself the answer, which is to be upfront. So I I have this idea, Kylie, and I'm thinking about creating a course. And if I were to create this course, like here's kind of the modules I've outlined and I'm pre-selling seats to the course. And if you buy now, you get a discount because you're taking a little bit of a bet that I'm going to finish, <laughs> right? <laughs> I know that I'm going to refund your money. So okay, transparent. And, okay. And great. Is that people love to be in on the creation of something new. Uh, and if they think they might get an opportunity to shape what it's going to look like, yeah. and they get a little bit of a discount in exchange for that, I mean, that's gold. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So just like, you know, swallow said pride and and be honest and open and vulnerable kind of totally yeah and and, and the great thing is you'll have a better product because of it because people will give you sure. like oh i actually am not interested on a course on this topic i'd rather explore this or i don't have time to devote you know all morning to a workshop on this but an hour i could do um and i'd actually be willing to pay more if you included content on topics ABC. Yeah. Uh, that's very, very useful market information that's hard to get if you're not um, out there trying to to sell them, at least your initial vision. Yeah. I love that. And I think that gives us uh, as creators, you know, a bit more permission to um, to to build the plane while we fly it kind of thing. Yeah. Of course. I mean, we all do that anyway. Let's be honest. <laughs> we just <laughs> we openly do. tell people now. <laughs> yeah. But but far too often I see entrepreneurs, business leaders think they have a great idea because one client said they wanted it mm -hmm. uh, and they know how to build it. Uh, so they just run down the path. And again, they can spend a lot of money creating something that nobody else wants other than this one client who maybe yeah. by the time they're done building it doesn't want it. Anymore. Yeah. Our Defining Success Workshop series is so much more than just a business workshop. This three-day intensive is a carefully curated exercise in finding clarity in the now, which includes your personal and professional goals. We have four expert speakers that will guide you through what typically takes years to accomplish in just three days' time and will save you roughly $100,000 in investment while we're at it. This will be the best ROI you'll ever make. I pinky promise. Sign up for one of our four Defining Success workshops taking place at Hotel Metro in Milwaukee this year. You can register at rixrixworkshops.com and keep in mind, space is limited. Okay, so that was mistake number one. Yeah, and so what other favorites do you have? It builds on that, which is building a product that doesn't solve a problem. It's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, let's say you wanted to create a course. I'd be like, great, Kylie, what, what, customer problem does that solve it's like well but i have all this content that i know i could put in a course like why wouldn't somebody buy it well somebody would buy it if it solves a problem that they have yeah um you know a lot a lot of times in marketing they talk about jobs to be done so what is the the job to be done i like to talk about urgent and expensive problems because that's kind of i like that phrasing yeah, because if it's urgent, I need I need your solution now. And if it's expensive, I'm willing to pay for it. Yeah. So I I again it just breaks my heart when I see 
people create products that are in search of a problem uh, as opposed to products that solve a, a clear, urgent, and expensive problem. Yeah. You know, one thing I think is interesting is um, I'd say every entrepreneur I've talked to always says like, oh, I want to do this thing so I can help people do blah, 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 right? And so it's interesting to kind of have that moment of reflection to say, okay, is this a problem I'm trying to solve for myself or is this a problem that I am trying to solve for other people? And it's validated that it exists out there. Right, right. Yeah. No, I like that urgent and expensive problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is there a... Those, that, again, that is also gold. If you if you can find one of those. A, an urgent and expensive problem. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think it's also worth saying, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but sometimes expensive is not even necessarily dollars, but time. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, oh, well, you, do you want to spend three years figuring this out and however many dollars are in it? Or do you want to spend 30 days? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love I love that phrasing. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, was there a third one you wanted to toss in there? Third yeah. favorite. Yeah. So I think I think the third one is um uh, so we we talk about um stopping at the minimum viable product. So we want to create, you know, a first version, an inexpensive version that helps us test, helps us learn about the market. But we want to remember that we need to reserve investment to continue to iterate on the product. Uh, so our co-creators, our customers who come in, they get that discount to to co-create. Um, they're going to expect a new version or an upgrade or the 201 version um, of what we've created. And we need to plan for that. Uh, and I see a lot of organizations assume if they build it once, then that's enough, that there's no other investment required. Mm. Okay, so my my follow-up question for that is if somebody is, now I'm sure the answer is it depends, but I'll ask it anyway. Yeah. If somebody is trying to budget accordingly, because that's a great call out, um, you know, as we think about, okay, it's going to take X investment to get this up. What is the additional like percentage of budget, et cetera, that people should think about in terms of investment on an annual basis or, you know, like how do you even, how do you budget for that? Yeah. Well, it does depend on the type of product. Sure. So if you're if you're writing a book, for example, that's a lot of time, but probably not a lot of outlay in terms of, you know, professional editors, graphic design, things like that. So it's an investment of time, but perhaps not money. If you were building a software product and you yourself sure. not know how to build software, you you could be looking at seven figures. Yeah, build a good software product, especially if it requires a lot of custom coding. If it's a learning product, um, that is less expensive. It's the time to create the content, the time to license, you know, for the LMS or the learning experience platform, whatever kind of solution you choose to host it. Um, so it really does vary dramatically depending on on the type of product. Um, the other thing. Um, that I'll say is that there is no relationship in the research between how much you spend on new product innovation and your success as a new product innovator. So I'll repeat that. There's no relationship between how much you spend and your success. So there is some minimum level of investment. 
Yes, that I would I would say is is required to ensure that you're exploring whether or not there's actually a market need. Yeah, is that attractive market segment. How much are they willing to pay? How much might it cost? But that that does not require significant investment. Um, and and again, there's with low code, no code um, software out there. There are ways yeah. to test software products without having to write a seven figure check to a dev shop to build, you know, the next base camp or whatever. Yeah. So, okay, in terms of ongoing iterations though, so let's just say, let's say it's a, a course, you know, there's a lot of listeners out here who have courses, right? So, okay, you, you spent the time and money, you decided it was a viable thing, you launched it. Now, in terms of continuing to quote unquote, give the people what they want, say, let's just say it costs $10,000. I'm just making up numbers. Uh, say it costs $10,000 in 100 hours of your time. Now, moving forward year over year, what should you plan to budget in terms of time and or money to continue to refresh that content or update it or make it better? I see your question. Yeah. I mean, again, it depends, but a good rule of thumb is somewhere between 15 to 20%. Okay. Um, of the revenue should go back into like new product features and enhancement. Okay. So 15 to 20% of revenue Correct. should go back into making it better. Correct. Yeah. And okay. that's, I mean, that's based on like benchmarking with, you know, software companies or other companies that do kind of similar type products. Um, so again, you're going to see wide variation, but that that's sure. good. No, that's good. That's, that's a nice you know, starting point at least. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So for anybody who's wondering what the next four mistakes are, you have to check out the book. Please uh, do. We, yeah. we can't give you everything here. <laughs> um, but I do want to circle back to another idea that you present in the book, which I really appreciate. Um, you had listed out the three key principles to productizing your services. Mm -hmm. Number one was think big, start small. Number two was follow those urgent, expensive customer problems. And number three was be fearless. Mm. So my question for you is, how did you narrow it down to these three? Like, what was the experience that led you there? How did you narrow it down to only three? What's so important about these three that we all need to keep in mind as we look to productize our own services? Yeah. So the book came out of uh, two sets of kind of research one was just a series of qualitative interviews that we did, um, both with companies that had successfully productized and then companies that were kind of in the middle of their journey. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second was our own experience working with clients and what we had observed. Um, it was based on those two sets of experience that we, we came up with those three principles. Um, and they're also principles that are pretty common in other schools of product development that we draw upon. So for example, design thinking talks a lot about really getting empathetic about the customer need and the customer mm -hmm. problem. Um, so that's where kind of urgent and expensive problems you know, draws a lot from design thinking. Sure. Uh, lean product, lean startup, uh, really focused on that kind of iterative, fast cycle, test and learn, test and learn, test and learn. And that's where, um, start small, think big, uh, really comes from. And then be fearless. Uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, this is a um, 
a transformation for a lot of organizations and their business oh, yeah. and how they make money. And it there is going to be some upfront investment required, just like when you you start a new business. Um, and the return on that investment is going to be uncertain. Uh, mm-hmm. And that requires courage uh, to to take that risk. And we don't think that people need to take irresponsible risks, but some risk is going to be involved. Uh, and that's where the fear- fearlessness comes in. It is also a core value um, for our company. Uh, it's, it's fearlessness. And so it was nice to pull that thread uh, through as well. I love that. Um, in your experience, just out of curiosity, how often have you found it where businesses or entrepreneurs will uh, go through the process of productizing their services and then they don't follow through and then they just like <laughs> crash and burn and then they go back to, no, we'll just do it. We'll just do the way we've always done it. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's it's more often than not. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I figured. <laughs> I wrote the book. Um, yeah. But it's not unique to services productizing. I mean, if you look at the the literature out there on product failure rates, whether it's a consumer product or True. a native yeah. product or a productized service, it's it's north of fifty percent failure rates. Um, and so that's again, you know, there's going to be some risk involved. Now there are some very easy things you can do to minimize that risk, sure, uh, and to make it easier to decide to stop or to pivot. Um, without losing your shirt. But but again, there's always going to be risk uh, involved. And I think one of the things that is really um, important for organizations to know is that you, you won't know until you try. So you can go out and, you know, I just had a, a phone call with a client earlier today where we'd done all this market research on desirability of this product in a new market. And um, we've done a massive survey, plus we've done qualitative interviews, and our recommendation was go forth. And and they were like, but they wanted to see more data. We're like, well, at the end of the day, you, you have to get out there. And like we talked about at the beginning, that market validation. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the um, Colin Powell, um, former uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff, Secretary of State, he talked about... Um, the importance of having somewhere between 40 to 70% confidence. Um, some like military leaders, he was like, do you have somewhere between 40 to 70% confidence? And if you had somewhere between 40 to 70%, he thought that was sufficient. And I think the same is true for new product development. Interesting. Yeah. 40 to 70%. Wow. I like that. It's not even like it has to be over 50%. It's like right. 40 is 40 might be fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and it's, you know, I was talking to a, a product leader uh, last week and she was going back and forth about whether or not to launch this new packaging and pricing. And I, I said, well, how confident are you? And she said, 80%. And I said, you waited too long. Oh, there you go. You waited too long. There you go. Yeah. Oh, I love it. We have heard time and time again Women small business owners want to work with other women small business owners, but they don't know where to find them or they don't know how to find the right ones. So we're fixing that. The 100 Collective is a public-facing national directory of and membership for women-owned small businesses looking to find, hire, and network with women such as yourself. We call it the 100 Collective because all members are asked to pay it forward by supporting 100 other women 
by using their unique strengths and skill sets to empower each other to live financially free and fulfilling lives. Join us at the100co.com. Um, okay, so I have to ask this question, a little bit of a vulnerable question here, if you don't mind. Um, so many of us are culminations of our life experiences, right? Like that's how we get to where we are. So I'm assuming that you have made some mistakes that led you to uncover these truths. So for you personally and your experience, you know, what are what what big mistakes did you find yourself fumbling through that allowed you to uncover these truths? Yeah, no, that, I love that question. So, I mean, the first thing is I grew up in product. I didn't grow up in services. Um, okay. So my background has always been in thinking one to many as opposed to thinking one to one. Uh, and when that's why, sorry to interrupt, is like a huge mindset shift. And an important one. Yes. Yeah. So so that's why it made so much sense for me to to, to launch a company that helps organizations go from thinking one-to-one to one-to-many. One yeah. But what did I do? I launched a consulting company <laughs> that provided customized services. Oh, and, that makes my heart so happy. <laughs> and went back and... And didn't even go back, went to a new world of thinking one-to-one. So I was already thinking one-to-many. I'm like, okay, I'm going to teach companies how to think one-to-many. But the way that I did that was by launching a consulting company that provides customized one-to-one services. I love that. So I love that. We are trying to drink our own champagne is what we say. Oh, I like that. Not the Kool-Aid, but the champagne because we're classy. Totally classy. Yes. Classy. I like it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really, you know, it's they say you write the book that you need. And the yes. book is only the distillation of all the research we had done, but it was like the advice that we needed to give ourselves to get out of the box of customized services and begin to productize our own offering. I love that. And I thank you so much for openly admitting that. Because it's such like a free flag for all of us who have done, you know, the same, like the cobbler's son has no shoes or, you know, whatever. It's always like, oh, I'm a marketing agency, but my social media sucks. Or I'm an email strategist, but I don't send out monthly newsletters. Like, you know, it's, I love that. That's, I love that. Um, Okay. So for founders out there who are like, ah, yes, this is all resonating with me. Where might they look like internally within their business to find the thing that they could maybe latch on to and say, like, maybe this should be maybe this should be a product? Yeah. Don't look internally. Go talk to your. Oh, OK. Yeah. There you go. Because that's something that a lot of organizations do. They're like, well, what what do we already have? What content do we have? What methodology do we have? What data do we have? And you do need to do an inventory of that. But that yeah, is not sure. true point you to the right answer. You need to go talk to your customers, find out what problems they have, and then look at your existing assets and see how those might be productized to solve that problem. Or do you need to go out and partner? Or do you need to go out and buy? Like the asset you may have is the existing customer relationships. You may not actually have anything else that could be turned into a product, but you could go 
find somebody who has a great product, partner with them, buy it and do a rev share, whatever, and deliver it to your existing customer relationships. You don't have to build it yourself. I love that. So don't look internally, look externally, talk to people. Don't operate in a silo is essentially what I'm hearing you say. Yes. Um, oh gosh, I feel like I could just sit here and like pick at your brain for hours. <laughs> but you're a busy lady and we're not going to do that to you. Um, for anyone listening here who's like, uh, yes, all the things, what is the biggest thing that you want them to take away from this episode? Yeah. So I think the first one is there is going to be some risk involved and that's okay. But at the end of the day, and I just told this to my co-founder earlier today, we were talking about our 2023 budget. I was like, go big or go home. Mm. Um, and and the point around think big, but start small. Yeah. Like we all deserve to have dreams. Sure. And we all deserve to think big and, and, put it out there. Now, don't write that seven-figure check tomorrow. Please don't do that. Um, that Calculated risks. Right. Yeah. But at least have the think big, have the vision and have the dream um, and then minimize the risk. Yeah. I love that. Um, Okay. So you just led right into like my next question. Um, what are you working on now? What what can people get excited about coming from you in the not so distant future? I got, I got maybe coming out. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sign me up. There's your market validation. Sign me up. Yeah. I love so, it. So in product ties, I spent one chapter talking about um the mistake of oh, I'm gonna say a fourth mistake. Oh, oh, for those who are still listening, you get a bonus mistake. <laughs> yeah, of putting processes before people. And a lot of the um, uh, organizations that we work with um, are trying to bring teams of people along with this productization strategy. And what they're finding is they can they can do the minimum viable product, they can do the test and learn, they can find the urgent and inexpensive problem, but if they can't get their people to change their behavior, yeah, then the strategy is not going to work. So that was one chapter in the first book. It's now going to be its own book. So that that will be coming out in the summer of 2023. Um, just finishing the manuscript now. It's really, really exciting. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. I will keep my eyes peeled. Count me in for a pre-order. That'd be amazing. <laughs> um, uh, all right, Aisha, as we wrap up here, I've got some big lofty questions for you. Sure. Um, what impact do you want to make on the world or what legacy do you want to leave? Yeah. So I am very passionate about helping women entrepreneurs succeed. Um, and that was why it was a no brainer for me to come on this podcast. Uh, it, because I mean, you look at the data, um, women historically have been underinvested in, um, as business owners, as entrepreneurs, you know, a fraction of small business lending, even less venture capital goes to, um, women owned businesses, women founded businesses. So that is a very, um, significant passion of mine and, uh, doing that by one, leading by example, so showing what's what's possible, two, advising other entrepreneurs um, mm -hmm. on my own experience, three, investing 
Uh, and I've done that through angel investing that focuses both on women entrepreneurs as well as other underrepresented uh, underrepresented founders. Can't talk today. Um, it's okay. And then the, the last is is taking it global. Uh, so looking at how can we help um, with economic empowerment, specifically of women in developing countries um, to help both raise their standard of living as well as the standard of living of their their families. Oh my gosh, I love that's a whole nother podcast episode. Yes. Yes to all of that. I love that. Um I have so many questions to follow up, but that's amazing. We have a, a lot of shared values, my dear. Um my last question for you mm-hmm. is what is your greatest insight or discovery about life and entrepreneurship? Mm. Yeah, don't let fear hold you back. Ooh, I like that just came right out. I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's it's um it, all human beings are primed for fear, right? It's what kept yeah. us alive back in the the caveman times. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't serve us well in 2022 on the cusp of 2023. Uh, and for those of us who maybe have perfectionist tendencies, you talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, fear can sometimes really hold us back from getting something out there um, or asking for help or admitting we don't we don't have the answer um uh you know calling picking up the phone and calling that big dream client i mean there's so many ways that fear can hold us back and um i, I know it's not human nature to just put fear aside but it's yeah. it's been so instrumental um in my success. I love that. I love that so much. Um, Aisha, for everybody listening who is um, super pumped and wants to get in touch with you, what is the best way to follow up so they can continue this conversation? LinkedIn, just like how you got in touch with me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't want everybody to steal all my sweet tactics. But yes, find her on LinkedIn. But don't, yeah, don't so it's, it's Aisha yeah. Armstrong, um, and then Vectris also has a LinkedIn page. Um, but yeah, definitely message me on LinkedIn. Um, I monitor my LinkedIn mailbox, as does uh, a member of my team. So um, yeah. yeah, yeah, double the coverage. I love it. Um, for anybody listening, if you've enjoyed today's episode uh, as much as I have, please go ahead and leave a review wherever you're listening. And Aisha. Thank you so much for sharing all of your golden nuggets and words of wisdom. And I can't wait for round two after the second book comes out. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, Kylie. Thanks so much for having me. To continue learning how to better build your business and make your vision a reality, subscribe to the Welcome to Eloma email list at welcometoeloma.com.